Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us. In case you don't know, we have over 200 episodes up wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. On our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash there it is, we have various episodes and every episode since number 201 uploaded on YouTube, except last week's episode with Wayne Fetterman. That's going up later this week with a correction. Brother of the show Trey puts together the video versions of episodes and has done enhanced versions of episodes 201 and on. And if I get anything wrong, he'll include a correction. So check those episodes out on youtube.com slash there it is. On today's episode, we have improviser Christine Chan. I came to know her through the Magnet community, and she was on the popular musical improv house team Kitty Hawk at Magnet. She was also an NBC page, and when I found out about that, I knew I had to talk to her about it. It's a fun chat, and she's also got a very soothing voice and vibe, so I hope you enjoy this. Here's my chat with Christine Chan. Okay. Yes, I can see that now. You know, I have dreams of like navigating the city. Did you have those kinds of dreams? I have not had a dream in New York City yet. Uh, I'll, whenever I have a dream of a place, it's like uh, you're the dream version of my mom's house or my dad's house. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, probably because you're in New York. So I think once you're removed from it, or if you find yourself in a transition or moving, then you kind of have those after image. I might. That must, I mean, I, don't, I wonder when that's going to kick in. Let me know. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> Do you ever have dreams that you're doing improv? Like doing improv scenes? I don't, uh, maybe once, but not really. And I worked in radio and People would always say, like, hey, have you had that dream yet that you've missed running a commercial? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had that dream. I was having a recurring dream, even in recent years, of being in college and some class that I hadn't been to um, (laughs) a a bunch. Yeah. And it's a recurring... (laughs) A recurring dream where I keep thinking I I need to finally go to this class so I don't fail. I don't know why I keep having that dream. I'm long out of college. That's a common dream and one that I have as well. Of like, apparently it's a common apparently, but it's individual. I feel like it's you know it's unique to everyone. Right. In the context of what they feel unprepared for. Mm-hmm. Are you doing your? Are you trying to in your dream? This has turned into like dream, <laughs> dream, dream interpretation, interpretation. <laughs> and astrology. No, um, <laughs> I it doesn't. Ha- it usually is not about college, mm-hmm. literally. It's usually about something now, um, but it's it's a very it's weird that we have that common. Yeah. That's where we go to in times where 
we feel like we're not ready for something in our current lives. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Now, you went to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Are you from New Jersey? I am. Okay. And so you were in the area of New York City. Did you move to New York because you always wanted to go in the direction of entertainment? Like, what did you study at Rutgers that made you end up in New York and, and doing the stuff you were doing? At Rutgers, um, I was... It was unrelated, but I was political, a political science major. Oh, okay. And then I minored in anthropology and women's and gender studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pre-law, essentially. So uh, I had found my found some elective courses in acting and voice and, and modern dance mm-hmm. during my time at Rutgers. I kind of squeezed those in. And that actually really gave me the confidence to do well in um, and, and enjoy uh, my major a lot more. It, it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and oh, I cool. think, yeah, I, I think I missed that upon graduating. And so instead of pursuing law, I, I thought maybe there's something in, in these classes that I took at Rutgers that were theater-based and uh, it could be creative and maybe there's a writing component to it. So then I eventually, I went to New York and um, I worked in publishing for a little bit and then eventually kind of found my way to UCB. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything? Because I know that you ended up on a musical megawatt team and, and uh, I see what looks like a guitar behind you. Um, and you're so you're performing improv. You get into that world, but did oh. did you do anything before um, college? Did you do anything with performance <laughs> or, or or comedy? I, I like the lead up. Um, <laughs> well, I, I went to post graduation. I I worked in publishing. I thought maybe there's something that I could do with writing. I think that's where I that's where my head was at the time. Um, and I thought I was funny. So then I, <laughs> I funny enough to write material that maybe people could relate to and that uh, would be fulfilling. So I, I literally Googled, I, ha- I had re- read about the groundlings and I hadn't, I really hadn't known too much about comedy or improv at all at that point. And maybe I read it in an autobiography. It's probably Bossy Panster, maybe Amy Poehler's autobiography. Um, I literally Googled, what is the New York equivalent of Groundlings? And then UCB came up. So I began taking classes there. And and then I left publishing to pursue journalism and, and broadcast journalism. So I moved uh, I started interning at Nickelodeon, taking more and more classes at UCB. And then I started interning there for, for a while at UCB and tried to kind of find my way into what was once writing and publishing now to a more focused, simil- similar to writing, but uh, entertainment journalism 
and comedy. That's very cool. I, I mean, you 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 packed a lot in during this span of starting college and then going into this other world from what you were studying in college. Um, and it just it sounds like you're really following your cur- curiosity. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what was the way you were putting it at the time? I guess indecision. <laughs> um, and maybe there were some pressures there. Um, because we do have lawyers in the family, I guess, to pursue that path. Mm. I, I don't regret at all those majors um, in in political science and anthropology and women's studies, I think that really informed, I, de- I definitely don't regret it because it gave me an education in um, more informed comedy, smarter comedy and relatable comedy to different demographics. Uh-huh. And I think that's really important and it, it gives meat and meaning to what you do and to the art yeah so i still carry that with me and i i still keep my books and we're trying to get rid of a lot of stuff in my parents home and i'm like don't take my books (laughs) yeah my my gender books my sociology (laughs) i and my notes i'm like don't throw those away yeah a lot of what you're talking about about how it brings depth to the comedy you're doing reminds me of the fact that you were on an indie improv team called Affirmative Action at Where one point. Where did this information come from? <laughs> I, I do a lot of research. Where did that? Whoa. It was an all-woman team, a woman-of-color team. Yeah. Yes, I remember it was to, uh, by one of the, the people who had founded the group and she all she said was after it was either during maybe after a class show or after some performance at UCB and she came up to me and said um, asked me do you do you want to be a part of a practice group um, it's called affirmative action and I was like yep yep just with the name alone you don't need to tell me anymore about it Um, sounds good Uh, so that was, um, yeah, that was one of the first opportunities I had to to work outside of class with all females and all women of color. And That's very a cool. Good time. Obviously, it's an opportunity to share your, the different perspectives that each of you have uh, in comedy. You did a lot at UCB. I mean, obviously, you were studying a lot at UCB and meeting a lot of people before you got to Magnet. Did you work there as well? I was in uh, an intern there. Okay. With their social media, the social media intern for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, UCB comedy. And at that point they were rolling out and promoting their online videos and sketches. Okay, there is a broad city smart girls with amy poehler episode like a well an episode of smart girls with amy poehler that the broad city ladies were on and you show up in it were you working on smart girls 
Jason, where did you, where is this, how did this come? <laughs> what? Wait, can you I just. I am good read? at research. Did, would you, were you a PA on that show? Like, <laughs> how did you end up uh, oh, dancing at the end of this episode of Smart Girls with Amy Poehler? Oh, I was an intern. That was when I was interning at UCB. Okay. Um, and I think they they had filmed it at the Beast at UCB yeah. East. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, cool that you uh, um, you know, got to be a part of that. Did you already know Abby and Alana? I didn't. I, okay. I did not. I was, and that was when they were. Um. This was when Broad City was really new and they were, I think, either just about, they were in the middle of promoting the first season. <laughs> um, they were all very warm. Um, I remember Amy Poehler, I think she stopped. They, they were either about to film or they were in the middle of filming um, and she stopped and introduced herself um, to me. And I, I remember exactly she you know how she came up to me and she was like do I have we met before and I mean she didn't say it like that she said it very confidently um Mm -hmm. and she was so warm and I think I just remember how I felt and um she made you feel like you knew her for a long time um (laughs) and so that i'll never forget and i think i carried that with me that feeling um and how to make people feel or at least try to welcome them i think that was a very special um experience along with abby and alana at the beast oh Um, that's cool yeah yeah, that was a really, that was a fun experience. Um, Did you get to see a lot of cool, fun stuff while you were interning at UCB? I did. I did. Um, I mean, I saw, basically what I remember is, it was, were you ever, um, did you ever take classes there in their old, mm. they had an old? No, no, I never took any UCB classes. You've never? No. Even now? No, even, yeah. Because um, I, when I got here, I already knew I wanted to, I moved here knowing I wanted to be at Magnet. Um, really? Yeah. Fascinating. I think UCB is where I got the, the bones of what improv is. Mm. And then Magnet is where I got the, the kind of heart. Mm. Um, not that UCB doesn't have heart, <laughs> right, um, right. but it's where it, I understood it at that level. Um, and it doesn't mean that you can't understand it at that level at UCB or the pit right, um, or the groundlings, but um, it clicked for me there. And um, I think that's where the best improv is, is when there's heart. Mm-hmm. and good intentions even even if it's a scene where you know there's supposed conflict I think that can be learned at any school yeah I and I don't know if that's how your experience was at the magnet or what drew you to it but it it was so simple and 
it wasn't as elusive as my time, I think, prior to Magnet, mm -hmm. where I mm -hmm. didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So no one's at fault, but it, it just... Right. I mean, the different theaters will speak to different types of people. And so wherever it clicks for you, go there. Uh, yeah. And, and um, yeah, I definitely see what you mean with, with uh, Magnet, because it did click for me in a different way. And uh, but I've you know I've also had experiences reading books by people who have a different approach, and it clicked for me there too. You were saying about UCB seeing some cool things, and and you were you were about to say something about the school, the UCB school. I, I didn't want that thread to get lost. Um, what was it that you were about to say? It wasn't that. In it's not that interesting. <laughs> it's um. <laughs> The first thing I was going to say was that they, they changed buildings. <laughs> so there was, there's that. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. It's, it, it's, it wasn't that interesting. Um, they, they, they had changed. They had an old training center, which is why I asked you if you had ever taken classes there, which was very cozy. And the interns, you have the, basically just rooms for improv and you, you come up the elevator, I think it was the fourth floor and, there's uh, just a little lounge and you just kind of sat on the couch and you got to see a lot of the performers, you know, from the shows that you would go see at night mm -hmm. and from the house teams come in and meet their teams. And that lounge, I don't know, water cooler environment was very interesting for me to observe. And so I was, I would always kind of peek my head up and see the improvisers who I watched at night, kind of mm. in their natural environment, and that part was fascinating. To yeah, me. I don't know, but it's a. <laughs> I don't have a one cool moment. I think the Amy Poehler moment was probably it's one of the top moments there. But that daily, almost mundane part um, was something that I remember. Yeah, I, I really love to go see tapings here. Cause I'll go and I won't even look at who's on the show. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not fascinated by the celebrity. I'm more fascinated by the production and I'm, I'm watching the host get notes from the producer and I'm like, Hmm, interesting. Okay. And then it's a different producer right before the next, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about all that stuff and, and looking at the crew work and it's, and, and also just looking at the vibe of everyone uh, and and how they are professional when they're in that element. I love to see it. I think it's really interesting. You got to see a lot of cool stuff because you've worked at Nickelodeon and you were a page at NBC. What did you do at Nickelodeon? Well, I, um, I was at UCB and I was interning there. I was looking for, I wanted to take on another internship simultaneously. And so my friend, I had a very good friend um, and we actually met through a, a, a minorities in journalism workshop um, mm -hmm. a while back. And she, she said she uh, had a friend who was looking for an intern at specifically Nick news. I don't know if you ever watched that show but Nick News with Linda Ellerby mm -hmm. and that was a documentary kids program and it was the only kind of news um, 
program of its kind and a children's documentary series that went on for about 20, maybe 22 years. Um, and so I had grown up watching it. I think I, re I remember it being on Sunday nights, maybe before, I think it was Sunday nights before school the next day. And it was this kind of educational break from the really, uh, I don't know, loud and uh, crazy, I don't know what to call it, um, tone that Nickelodeon's other shows are, are usually like. And um, yeah, uh, and I was an intern there and at ECB and that was me kind of unknowingly at the time building up the experience that I needed the minimum requirements to apply to the PAGE program. How long were you a PAGE at NBC? It's a year-long postgraduate program oh. at NBC, and it's at 30 Rock. And they also have their program based in LA as well. So they have their LA, inter um, not interns, LA PAGES and New York City PAGES. And I was a PAGE in New York. Um, I was Kenneth the PAGE. If you've ever watched 30 Rock. <laughs> yep. It's not too far from that. <laughs> Hopefully you weren't quite exactly like Kenneth the Page. Uh, you, not, you just had the it, position. Um, it wasn't far off <laughs> from that. And I think in terms of the qualities, that kind of earnest and open mm -hmm. quality, open to whatever and kind of willing to to do whatever you know whatever needs to be done right you gave over 300 tours <laughs> um i was at every single one of them no um <laughs> did you oh i love those tours yeah i got to go on a tour um we did a, a like an nbc tour when we before we moved here we took a trip really? here yeah, and they took us through the NBC News studio, and we got to go yeah. up on Studio 8H. Yeah. We didn't really get to go into the SNL studio. Nope. We just sort nope. of, from the top, <laughs> saw, um, we saw, we got to see the, the space a little bit, and we saw where the audience sits. Yes. And um, something that is kind of, to me, a notorious thing. But I don't know how common this is from your perspective. I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on this. But I remember when Conan was still hosting Late Night, which you became a page when Fallon was there hosting Late yes. Night before he started doing The Tonight Show. So Seth Meyers wasn't there yet. But yes, Conan was hosting an, an episode during the writer's strike when they just needed content. Uh, Conan had some he had some hidden cameras during a page tour of late night and he gave the page grief because the page had said some things that weren't accurate they weren't true and on the tour that i had when we got to, to snl the guy was like yeah and down there is uh just the open space it's always open Sometimes they put these extra chairs there if they just need extra seating. 
And I'm like, I watch that show every week, and there's always an audience sitting there during the monologue. <laughs> like, they're always <laughs> sitting in that spot. That is not just a spot they occasionally use for the audience when they need extra seating. They mm. always put, put people in that, those <laughs> So... To me, it's like, is there all this bad information that you just give? Like, like, is this a thing? Like, what is your perspective on this? We're very tired. <laughs> so just to give you the, I guess, just to give you the perspective. So basically, the page program's one year. You know, there's one New York Times article that compares its competitive rate or ex- its acceptance rate to, you know, an Ivy League school or Harvard. They, they take... 60 pages at any one time. Um, So you have a a cohort of 60. And so for that year, you are touring, you're you're giving tours of 30 Rock. And that was the grit work. And you would, you would kind of do that. And it's changed a lot. I don't know how it is now. But um, that was kind of your onboarding for at least the first month to three months. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people toured their whole year, you can do up to I don't know, maybe up to a few, it's several, several tours, Mm -hmm. maybe not seven, but it's a lot. Um, Each, I think, as you remember, they're, they're at least an hour long. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes you would just be back to back, you just come off of a tour and and grab the next group. There's a pretty rigorous vetting and interview process coming into the program. And then once you're in, you still have to interview to to get the assignments that you want or the rotations and you would work that show or that kind of focus for three months at a time until you interview for another assignment and you kind of get your taste in each uh, department and see you know where you want to end up at the end of that year but the tours are kind of the stuff you do in between um, when you're either not you, you don't have an assignment or when you're new and you're you're still kind of getting used to the just the transition of the program. You take exams when you're in the program and mm-hmm. you, you're given a book and it's about, I might be exaggerating, it could be a few hundred, maybe it's like a hundred pages, mm-hmm. 200 pages long of all of NBC's history and you're tested. You have a pretty lengthy written test And a lot of that information has to be stored in the event someone asks you on a tour. Um, So you try to prepare yourself for as many questions, you know, Mm -hmm. all possible questions one could ask. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it was, it's really important that you're well-versed and you have an executive presence and you're confident while you're giving your tours. But again, we would start tours at like seven in the morning and, you know, you could end at like, I don't know, it could be the whole day, like seven, mm-hmm. I don't know, seven to seven, you'd be doing these tours. And then sometimes people would just ask you, I remember because we were in the SNL studio mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, this is where SNL and we actually, I know they, I know what you're talking about. You usually they bring you behind the glass. It's pretty rare that they open the glass door and you get to kind of filter in the audience mm-hmm. seat. But we were in there and I was like, this is where they film SNL. There's a pullout stage where the host comes out and delivers their monologue. And it's six feet. It's like a trundle bed. I mean, we have these. 
I, I, could, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't do the speech now, but you, you have to, mm -hmm. there's a whole, besides the written test, there's also an oral test where you kind of, you have to give a tour um, mm -hmm. and pass that. And that was, that's one of the things that, and this is where I can empathize with pages. Um, when you go on a tour at NBC, if they're filming in a certain studio, then you, the tour can't go by there. Yeah. So yeah. you, yeah. The, the page has to say like, well, here are the places we can go. And so this is where I'm going to take this tour. So you do have to just have a lot of information. It's not like you can say, I'm going to go to these three places or three studios oh. all day. And I'm, and so I can just work on knowing the information about those three studios. It's going to change from hour to hour and from tour to tour. Exactly. I remember there would be a board and it would be, it would be like, okay, from this time to this time slot, three K's open, three B, eight H. And then from this time to this time, there's only one studio. And we'd always feel really bad for that yeah. tour that would only get the one studio. And it's very cold. I don't know if you remember, but it was yeah. very, yeah. it's very cold because we have a, a an air system mm -hmm. that I don't remember, but the purpose is apparently to keep the cameras very cold yeah, and it's a moisture-free air system, so that it doesn't condensation doesn't build up Ooh. on the camera lenses. I don't know. I Very thought maybe you thought, would think that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's interesting. What is the best time to go? Would you say is there a particular time that you you would suggest people take a tour of Thirty Rock? I don't know when they're. I don't even know if they're still touring now. Well, yeah, that's true. I don't know what they're doing now uh, in 30 Rock. We went a few weeks ago to see Amber Ruffin record her show. Oh, And okay. um, I don't know if they were doing tours, uh, but it seemed pretty open downstairs. I love 30 Rock. I've been there so many times. Uh, I love the smell. Uh, the smell? I, I, yeah. The smell. That's that 30 Rock. Or, or that NBC store smell. Um, oh. There's some like special scent that they pump through there. They must. They and, must. And. Describe the smell? Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm sure there's eucalyptus in it. But I, I, I have not smelled anything like it anywhere else. Can you describe what you feel like when you smell this? <laughs> I, I feel uh, it does like uh, it smells really clean. Um, and it's not tricks. tiny. I would more go in like a seafoam direction almost. It's a good smell. People should go to 30 Rock, walk into the NBC snore and just take a deep breath. <laughs> they'll, they'll love you for this. <laughs> um, so, well, that's really cool. And, uh, and I won't give uh, pages too hard of a time for that, but did you ever have an experience? And I imagine they try to avoid this, but did you ever have an experience where you're giving a tour and a famous person walked by? Oh, not on tours, not too much on tours, but I think it was more my experience um, when I was working the tonight show. And when I had that assignment there, um, I oh, had cool. to escort a lot. Oh, um, I had to get their dressing rooms ready. I had to, kind of uh, help facilitate their transportation, make sure that they got here oh, and cool. um, bring them. Some people just took the subway. 
some of the yeah. guests. That's how I met Lester Holt. He's just on the subway. Yeah. And I oh. heard at that tour, um, the page mentioned that Lester Holt takes the subway from time to time. <laughs> and he's like, he still does. And so I was like, oh, interesting. And then years yeah. later, I met him on the subway. <laughs> did you say hi? I did. Uh, wow. I, yeah, I said, hey, and, and thank you, <laughs> because he has a he has a uh, very calming presence, in, yeah. which, which I think is really good for news. And it's not just his presence, it's his integrity. And so I thanked him for his integrity in news. Mm-hmm. And he was very gracious and, and uh, had a very warm kindness about him. He is very kind, very warm. I think he's a fan of tennis is what I remember. I remember I used to bring his, I would put his newspaper, I would set it up in his dressing room. When oh, I was cool. dressing rooms, when I was on the Tonight, or not the Tonight Show, I'm sorry, the Today Show. And those were crazy hours. You had to kind of be in. Yeah, real uh, early. Or three, real late. Or in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Whenever, um, but Lester Hall is, oh yeah, what a guy. Yeah. If he you like watching away. nightly news, I suggest watching Lester Holt. He's he's a good man of good integrity, <laughs> and we need that in the news. Um, what? Who would you say when you were working Tonight Show? Who was the kindest? Hmm. 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 There's a couple. Um, Julianne Moore mm. was really. I, I believe she brought her son and I felt like she made you feel like you would, like she would invite you to her house for dinner, which she never did, but it, <laughs> it, it felt, you know, she gives you a hug and she, uh-huh. she brought her, her son and um, maybe other members of her family. And, um, Again, it's the same with with what I, I I guess I was trying to describe with the encounter with Amy Poehler when I was at UCB, which was just that feeling that you 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 just met them, but you they made you feel like you knew them mm-hmm. or that they knew you, um, and it's very relaxed. Um, Julianne Moore was surprising because I I I I don't think I really watched. I think I do now. I I definitely do now. I watch more of her her work now but before I, w- I wasn't that I'll never forget um mm. Eddie Redmayne he was at the time promoting the theory of everything he was playing mm. Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. and I remember looking at the list I, of people I had to pick up that day from their their car and bring them to their dressing room and I'm like who is Eddie Redmayne and <laughs> It sounded like I was like, is he a? I had no idea. I was like, is he a, a country singer? <laughs> it, I didn't. I, I was just, is this a musical? I thought it was a musical guest. And I remember going downstairs and he came. Usually there's a, I mean, it's, it varies with guests and, and talent. And sometimes they come with a what, very large posse and there's a publicist and you really can't get too close to them you kind of just bring this this large group of people up without really ever uh directly interacting with them but i i really had again no expectations and i think those were the the 
most memorable times for me was when I really didn't expect anything and I go downstairs, the car door opens and it's, I see this young strapping British man and he just, it's just him by himself. And he's like, it's lovely to meet you. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I want to do it in his accent, but I don't think I'll do it justice. And I, I heard in one of your, your episodes with Jackie Stewart that you're also not comfortable with accents. I'm not great at them, but I surprise myself sometimes. Um, if I have to do it in a scene, then I'll, I'll, like I did a British accent once in a scene and was sort of like, how am I doing this? And it's not so noticeable that it can't, because po- I was like, this can't possibly be a good accent, but no one was laughing at that. You know, it was just like people accepted it. So I'm like, how am I getting away with this? It was bizarre. Um, so maybe I need to be a little bit more confident about, <laughs> about it. Um, but as a dialect coach, Jordan Yanko said when he was on, um, he said, it's just what you're exposed to. And so if you hear it huh. enough, then you kind of, you know, it gets huh. easier to uh, accomplish. Okay, well, let me try it then. And I didn't mean to diverge onto your no, no, no accent, you know. <laughs> <laughs> your your accent fears because it's really I'm projecting it's my accent fear. So he was he was like it's it's lovely to meet you. Oh, that was oh. I can't no. But I get the vibe that you're going <laughs> for, and I can accept it. And I get it. I get it. Oh, um, <laughs> lovely. It's lovely to meet. It's lovely to meet you. It's still oh, not yeah. not good. No, not but good. I get, no, but I get what you're, what kind of British accent you're going for, and I I do see why that would make you melt <laughs> with someone oh. to you yeah yeah it was melt it was melt worthy yeah that was memorable um will smith yeah I was exactly how you want him to be yeah oh man yeah i'm not surprised to hear that <laughs> and and jada yeah they came they, they were together as guests as that's, co-guests that's cool and I interacted with Fallon, and he, I found him to be warm. Oh, man. When did you interact with... Uh, was that when I went to a taping. I went to a taping yeah. in 2017, and um, was just... It was when you, know, you could still... He could still go in the audience and give high fives. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came by, and um, I was at a corner, and so I was handing him... I wrote him a thank you note, and so I was like, hey, here, and he, he was sweet. Did he take it? Yeah. But I messed up. It's a long story. <laughs> but uh, uh, like I didn't show him that I wrote a thank you note. I was just holding up a card that said thank you. Uh-huh. And uh, he was like, ah, you know, and then he like, you know, high five me or whatever. And I was like, here, take it. And he did. But, Aww. you know, I don't know if he ever read it I, <laughs> because he, I never showed it. it to him. He did. If he if he took it, he he did. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to think that he did and it made his day. Um, that's, yeah. that's the story I'll go with. <laughs> so you got to be around a lot of people. It's got to be nice when you meet somebody like Will Smith and they're as nice as you want them to be. That's a cool experience. It was. 
Jimmy Fallon, I would always get starstruck. That was the only, and you, as a page, you're not supposed to. Right. You really have to tamp down that inclination to gawk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to do, you kind of have to keep your head down and do your work. But I mean, we're, we're, we're all human. And so you can't help but you get really bombarded. It's a lot. Eventually, you, you kind of become desensitized to it for better or for worse but jimmy fallon was not someone i uh he i always got very flushed <laughs> <laughs> with jimmy fallon um and then and then um you know i i would also help out a little bit with the roots because your desk at the tonight show is right in front of their dressing rooms uh-huh. that was very cool and you always had to know i think there were about 10 members all of the members are coming in and out at, at different times. It was really cool to see. Again, I really liked observing that, you know, when the when they're not taping, when they're preparing, you know, for that, you had to you you had to make sure that you had their snacks ready. And if you were good, you knew. And if the page before you who had the sign the assignment before you and was training you would tell you who wanted the buffalo blue chips, <laughs> who wanted the Doritos, the Cheetos, you know, you knew like who wanted what and you had it on the ready. Those were the kinds of little details that one would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's uh, those, those, uh, I mean, that's that whole building is an institution. It's a well-oiled machine and uh, getting to see how it operates. It uh, Mm -hmm. had to have helped when you moved on uh, to other things, like when you worked at the cooking channel, how long were you there at Cooking Channel? I was, um, I was, pre- I was in casting, and that was just for just the length of that that season. And I think mm-hmm. it had maybe it had ended. The series had ended not too long after that. But okay. Just, just there for that season. What and show was it? It was a show called My Grandmother's Ravioli. Oh, interesting. With Mo Rocca. Who is also oh, in co- um, in, a comedy I, guy? He um, was early yeah. days of Daily Show, Moraka. Yeah, who's parlayed that into doing uh, kind of more real news stuff? <laughs> you know, um, he does uh, a morning show on the weekends, which I enjoy, and my mom enjoys as well. <laughs> we, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like this educational, um, yeah, and so that the show that he hosted and created um it was about um you know finding exactly how the title is my grandmother's ravioli so finding um people who are older um and of of you know up an older generation kind of delve into their recipe secrets and their family uh you know, family traditions and share and cook with Moraka in their home, pretty much. And my job was to kind of find find these um, these people who are willing to, you know, share that and and let us into their home and cook and have a meal with them. So, um, Moraka Mo is a very smart. He was in. Uh, 
I wouldn't say intimidatingly smart, but I, 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 I don't know if I could keep up with, with um, you know, I, I, he has a whole uh, anthology, uh, you know, of references, and you know, there's and history and knowledge. So, um, but he was uh, really really amazing to work for and um it was a really small group so we got to be in meetings and um just being you know just getting to know what's um you know what his thought processes are oh cool it's pretty pretty yeah neat. i'm not surprised that he's a sharp guy <laughs> um just because I, I I used to watch him on Daily Show alone, just the, that era of mm -hmm. uh, of Moraka's career makes it very clear how intelligent he is. Um, so when yeah were you at Magnet performing? Or had you found Magnet by this point? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that you feel that you found at Magnet was the heart of uh you know like the heart of doing improv scenes. Uh, which I think is an accurate way to put it. That's the same sort of vibe that I get from Magnet. You uh, were on one of the very popular musical megawatt teams at Kitty Hawk. Is that the track that you wanted to focus on the most when you got to Magnet, being on the musical megawatt side of, of improv? Or the musical side of improv? Um, yes. And I think that's a that's a big reason um, that was the only place that I, I could find musical improv. And I just remember when I was taking classes before I found Magnet and I was at CB, the only warm up that I really enjoyed was Hot Spot. So oh, that's funny. That was the only thing that I understood. <laughs> um, <laughs> And looked forward to and then we had to perform and then then I and then then all was lost after that so um I'm like where again I think I think Google is was very pivotal in in leading me from place to place um in improv but I was like where can we where can I find musical improv um and that was the magnet and that was intentional um and yeah, it's a it's a it's a whole different tone and community um, feel. I think when you're when you're doing music, musical improv, um, there's an inherent kind of openness to it. You mm -hmm. you really do have to be quite vulnerable. Yeah, uh, and then there's a joy to it as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It's in every hair. way, because every you're also what, one of the things that's so great about musical megawatt. It's not just that it's, you know, it could be easy for people to see musical improv as well. It's improv, but everyone's singing. It's more than that because, for one, Frank Spitznagel, the musical director at at yeah. Magnet, is fantastic, and so the the band is always really fun to listen to. But the teams are also dancing. 
they're they're doing choreographed <laughs> stuff on stage. So the stage picture is always really great and 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 interesting. And then there's like funny dance stuff that people are doing while they're also singing funny things and setting up funny improv scenes with songs. It's it's uh, a, a one heck of a feat, and it does take uh, vulnerability. For one, because a lot of people are nervous to sing, but people are also nervous to do improv. <laughs> but in order to do it all, you just have to jump. You have to take really big leaps. And I think that really comes across, especially at magnet musical improv shows. Um, there is such a big, joyful leap to just have fun and, and let go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think Michael Lutton would say this often, which was you don't have to by any means be a good singer, but when you are singing, you know, and we all notice this in class. And if you've taken a musical class, that, that absolutely applies. And when you're singing out and um, being as genuine as you can, um, with it and you're really trying <laughs> you're really trying and it shows it um um it you can pull it off um and the same with same with hip-hop improv too um that yep. confidence when that confidence is there if you've ever done the gibberish i don't know what the the actual name of the exercise is but it's the rap exercise where you don't use words um, and you're just using nonverbal sounds over a beat and that um, it's that same um, same application or same concept of, of if you have confidence if you fake it till you make it as one would say or some would say um, it, you can yeah you can pull it off Absolutely, yeah. It's knowing that it's getting the rhythm uh, with that exercise, that gibberish exercise. You're, 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 you kind of know just whether someone is telling a a joke, like a especially a really short joke, or um, rapping something. You kind of get the idea of when it's about to be the end, just because of the rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. It's and a it's a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's, especially with rap, because that's, you know, you have, I think, you know, between the eight bars, 16 bars, it definitely ends, or you definitely have to pass it <laughs> off to someone, or someone <laughs> right. takes it at a certain point, just because that is the, um, you know, that's, uh, that is how that that's the structure of many rap songs. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, we have now reached the end of the episode. We could talk so much more, but I have to let you go. Uh, so it's time to create something together. And I think <laughs> uh, one thing that might be cool to do is to maybe maybe you can kind of describe the structure of musical improv because I've never taken a musical improv class before. So what? Yeah, I haven't done that yet, and that was something right before the pandemic. I was like, hey, maybe I'll do that next, and then, of course, everything shut down. But I do think 
when when watching a show, uh, you you it's you just don't know how people are doing it, but you get that there is some sort of structure there. So maybe talking about maybe you can explain what that structure is. Oh boy, but there's an opening, and you have you could choose from from that opening. It says you're you're singing about based off of a suggestion. So it's the same as any improv show where an audience gives the, the group a suggestion. The music starts. Usually Frank is, from what I remember, I think he would also have a kind of feel of, you know, or mood set. And, and that would inspire him. And he was incredible. He, mm-hmm. he is incredible mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, he's um, so good. With a genre, just coming up with a genre, that would inspire the group to kind of, okay, this is a, we're, we're hearing like this kind of disco tech, or we're hearing um, a rock opera, uh, <laughs> or we're hearing a straight up, you know, Broadway um, dance number uh, kind of genre. And then we do that opening, and then there's a couple. From that open, opening, there's about three scenes that follow a structure, and you can choose. It's either um, a hero's journey, or a, um, or you're following kind of one, one character's, you know, triumph, or and or struggle mm-hmm. throughout three scenes, three or four scenes, or you can have a fairy tale structure where you'll you'll see a clear kind of dichotomy of you a good and evil character and hopefully how the how the good prevails or not <laughs> um, and then i think the third structure is um or third path one can take is a kind of group game where everyone is on stage at the same time and um, and you kind of there there is one protagonist. It's it's the group kind of you remain on the stage and maybe you peel off into different characters and come back as a as a new one. But there isn't one particular focus. So it's how you uh, kind of that that group dynamic remains throughout the three scenes. And then you kind of and then you you find some way to wrap it up after those three scenes, and that becomes your close. And that's essentially there's there's a lot of nuances to it um, right and one can go into genre and that can inspire right. the whole thing you could sing the entire time uh-huh yeah which doesn't usually happen it's usually seen into songs so talking mm-hmm. that builds up so much that you can't help but you have to break out into song or, <laughs> yeah or, or there's a That's you know what, you know frank starts kind of keying you in on when that's starting <laughs> well, by, really by when he starts funny. to play during a scene, it's like, all right, well, I guess the song's coming. I guess we have to. You, you have <laughs> is, to you is have there to a particular structure to uh, singing? Like, uh, I mean, uh, obviously, yeah, um, yes, there is to singing, but I just mean in an improv scene, is there a uh, what is that? Abba. It, it gets now that I'm trying to break it, break it down. Um, it, I don't realize it's more complicated that, than I thought. There's backline tags, frontline tags. Uh-huh. What what those mean is if you've ever listened to jazz, that's a lot of um, 
you know, somewhere over the rainbow is what, you know, we were taught in classes. That's the common frontline tag where you keep repeating somewhere over the rainbow and then the verse happens and then you repeat it again. And the verse it's, it's how it starts off each verse. And then choruses. When you said Abba, it's A-B-B-A. Is that like the rhyming structure? It's the, it's the structure of, of the chorus itself. So you'll have your verses. Um, and I'm going to get some grief over, over not remembering how to do this. And I have dreams about this too, but it's, it's <laughs> A-B-B-A is the, is the chorus structure. There's also A-B-A-B. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Basically, A is equivalent to a line. B is equivalent to an, a different line in that chorus. A means that you repeat that line. It's like if A equals, you know, Jason and I went on a walk. B- <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'd have to sing this out. And then B would be like, and we had a great time. And we had a great time. Then A would be repeating or an ABAB. It would be like, Jason and I went on a walk. And then ABAB, again, you repeat the B and we had a great time. So it's that that um structure and there's that's a that's a more difficult i think you you don't see that used as often people should go to a musical improv show and figure out which one it is is the structure a b b a or a b a b i will say this though you know it and you're not you know you've sung these kind of structures before and you don't even you probably don't even know it awesome Well, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Christine. Thank you for having me, Jason. Those NBC pages, let's give them a break. They have a lot going on. It's a tough job. Really interesting stuff she shared there. Christine mentioned off-air that she listened to the Jackie Stewart episode, number 167, which has a meditation in it. And Christine told me that meditation really helped her with improv so i definitely suggest you give that episode a listen there's also a bonus episode of just the meditation that jackie did in the feed so go check that out wherever you are listening to this episode follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at there it is pod and don't forget our youtube at there it is and also check out our newsletter You can go to thereitispod.com for more info on that. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 